Get the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible. Then continue the adventure with monthly audio adventures on airshipgenesis.com. Plus, download the Airship Genesis mobile game where kids will travel back in time to the life of Jesus. Blast off with the young one in your life at airshipgenesis.com. If you're a Christian, you know there's nothing that God can't do. Miracles are a vivid example of that. But sometimes miracles depend on your cooperation. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah shares why God might require the participation of his people before delivering a miracle. From Elisha, the double-blessed prophet, here's David to introduce the conclusion of The Anatomy of a Miracle. And we turn once again to 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1-7, through 7, and uh, we're going to see once again how these miracles that we read about in the Bible teach us about how God deals with us today. Friends, we're going to talk about this miracle in just a moment, but first I want to encourage you to be among the first to order the new book that comes out in October. If you're a Turning Point follower, you know there's kind of a rhythm and routine to what we do, and every October we release the new book, and uh, we teach the content of the book. This year, the book is called Where Do We Go From Here?, and it's an attempt on my part to answer all the questions people are asking me about what's going on right now. In fact, it begins with a whole chapter on socialism. What does it mean? What does the Bible say about it? Can a Christian be a socialist? And then the book talks about what happens when financial chaos takes off. And what about globalism? What did the pandemic mean? Was it a fulfillment of prophecy? What about the falling away of people from the faith and the famine of the teaching of the Word of God? And what about Jerusalem? In Jerusalem, we've had some amazing events over these last months. The return of our embassy to Jerusalem, the Abraham Accords uh, with the other Arab nations. This is an amazing thing, and they all have prophetic import. In fact, the subtitle of the book is, What Tomorrow's Prophecies Teach Us About Today's Problems. This book is to help you, and I want you to have one of the first copies. Here's what you can do. You can pre-order it today. When you pre-order the book by going to our website, you will not only get the book at the very beginning of its launch, but you will also be able to get some messages that will be downloaded into your computer. Two audio messages, two Bible studies that you can have. And just as a way of our saying thank you for ordering the book ahead of time. I hope you'll do it and be among the many who join us as we launch this message in just a few weeks. Well, let's get started with this last part of the Anatomy of a Miracle as we open our Bibles together to 2 Kings chapter 4. Hebrews 11 tells us that when you have faith, here's the kind of thing that happens. Faith commits, it acts, it is astounding, it obtains, it understands, it offers, it pleases, it prepares, it obeys, it goes out, it waits, it receives, it embraces, it confesses, it declares, it seeks, it desires, it offers, and on and on it goes. That's about half of them. Maybe you've heard about the three people who were trapped in a cave in which the water was rising. 
One of these men was a philosopher, another was a scientist, and the third was a peasant man. None of them could swim. But fortunately, emergency responders discovered their plight, and rescuers lowered a rope to save them. The philosopher said, well, this looks like a rope, but maybe it's an illusion. And he didn't attach himself to it, and he drowned. The scientist felt he should study the rope, and his calculations raised questions as to its strength. He delivered a lecture about the analysis of the rope's physical and chemical properties, but he didn't attach himself to it, and he drowned. The simple man said, well, I don't know if this is a rope or a python, but I'm going to take hold of it because it's my only chance. And he grabbed hold of it, and he was saved. Here's what you need to remember. Real faith grabs hold of the truth and hangs on. Real faith responds in action. How do you know if you have faith? Well, what did you do when you received it? The Bible says faith without works is dead. There's a big argument about that between James and Paul, but I understand what he's saying. There's a real sense in which the word obedience is a synonym for the word faith. Obedience is believing and doing what God tells you to do. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Real faith grabs hold of the truth. Don't tell me that your faith is some little warm feeling in your heart. That's not faith. Faith exhibits itself in the way your life is changed and how you live. If you have faith, you will be different. The Bible says when you become a Christian, old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. You know, a lot of people are walking around talking about their faith, but their faith isn't expressing itself in any way. And you have to wonder, do they really understand what faith is? Sometimes we misunderstand faith to our own peril. So we have the cry and the command and the conclusion. Verse 7, at the beginning of our story, the woman cried out to Elisha, Now she returns back to Elisha's house, and she's filled with gratitude and excitement. And she tells him what has happened, and she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil, pay your debt, and you and your sons live on what's left over. Out of reverence and respect, she didn't want to do anything until she talked to Elisha. She knew he was the one who had made this happen through the power of God. So she came back and she told him, all that God had done. And Elisha gave her these instructions. He said, take the money from this oil, which you could easily have sold because it was a very expensive commodity in that day. It would have brought much money on the market. And she was to take the first part of this and pay off all of her debts. That gets her creditors off her back. And then she's to take the rest of it and store it up and use it to take care of her and her sons going forward. Now, that's the story. It's an interesting story. It's a unique and fun story. It's a story you don't read every day, and it's not more than once in the Bible. But the actual question we need to ask is this. What does this teach us about the anatomy of a miracle, and how does it affect us in our lives today? That's always the question we should ask when we study the Bible. So the first thing I want you to notice is the principle of personal desperation. When the widow needed help, she laid out her situation before the Lord. She trusted that God could meet her need. The Bible says she cried out. I love that phrase, cry out. Say that with me, cry out. 
Did you know that little two-word phrase appears in the Bible 60 different times? Apparently, God wants us to know that it's okay to cry out to him. I know that some of you, during this time, with all of the terrible things that are happening and the challenges you're facing, some of you have learned what it means to cry out to God during these days. You don't just pray, you cry out to God. I've told you before that when I was coming back from cancer almost 20 years ago now, I was almost better, and I agreed to go to New York City to the Brooklyn Tabernacle and preach for my friend Jim Cimbala. I don't remember much about preaching there. I don't even remember much about the service, but I remember one thing. One after another, the people of that church came up to me, and they all said the same thing. It was without any difference at all. They all said this, oh, Dr. Jeremiah, we cried out to God for you. I'd never heard anybody say that before. I guess I've just never been in one of their Tuesday prayer meetings. But that church didn't just pray for me. They cried out to God for me. Have you ever cried out to God for something? You know how you know? When, the more desperate you get, the more you're apt to cry out to God. When everything's okay, but not just the way you want it, you pray. But when things get desperate, you cry out to God. And the Bible tells us that we should do that that part of our responsibility in walking with God is to feel the freedom to cry out to him when we're in a need. Psalm 34, 17 says, The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Psalm 56, 9 says, When I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. Psalm 57, 2 says, I will cry out to the God most high, to God who performs all things for me. Psalm 107, verse 28, they cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of their distresses. When we ask God for help, we are going to the one who can meet us where we are and can give us what we need. Paul tells us in the book of Philippians, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Did you know that God will help you? God will provide for you, but you have to ask him. You have to cry out to him. He doesn't just swoop over everybody and bless them. He's waiting for you and the spirit of your desperation. It's only when we get desperate that we cry out to God. I have several illustrations of my life of moments when that happened. I read this week that Lake Tahoe is the eighth deepest lake in the world. It's so deep that if it were tipped over, its contents would cover California in 14 and a half inches of water. Tahoe could provide every person in the United States with 50 gallons of water per day for five years. The evaporation from Tahoe over the course of one year could supply a city the size of Los Angeles for five years. But consider this, Lake Tahoe is a small lake compared to Lake Superior, which is 120 times as large. And the world's largest lake, the Caspian Sea, is 576 times as large as Lake Tahoe. In the same way that you could never drink those bodies of water dry, you could never exhaust the limitless resources that God has to meet your needs. He has everything you need. I can't promise you that he will always answer every request that you have in the way that you want. But I am here to tell you that God answers prayer, and especially prayers of desperation that come from his people. Don't ever be afraid 
to cry out to God. Say that with me. Cry out to God. The principle of personal desperation. Here's the second principle. The principle of divine cooperation. In our story, God through Elisha sets the criteria for the miracle. But the poor widow still had to carry out her instructions in order to experience the fulfillment of it. I like to call this the divine cooperative. We're to take what God has promised to work in us and through us, and we're to work it out in our lives. This is a principle we see throughout the Bible. For example, when we were studying Elijah, he promised a widow who had only a handful of flour and a little oil that God would meet her needs. But she had to do something first. And you know what it was? She had to feed the prophet. He came upon her and he said, make me a little lunch. She says, how am I going to do that? I don't have anything to do it with. But she had to do it. And she did exactly what Elijah said. And the result was this. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. But let me ask you this question. Do you think that would have been true if she hadn't made Elijah his lunch? That was the prerequisite. That was the test. That was the command. And so she did what she was called to do, and God fulfilled his promise. We see this principle over and over in the Bible. On one occasion, Jesus' disciples had been working all night to catch fish without any success. The next morning, Jesus told them to go out deeper and let their nets down, and there would be fish. And the disciples obeyed, and here's what happened. When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking, so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Would the disciples have gotten all that fish if they hadn't obeyed? You say, well, how did they get all that? It was faith. What was their faith? They did what God told them to do. If they hadn't done what God told them to do, those fish would still be swimming around out there, but they never would have been caught. When someone requested a miracle of healing from Jesus, he often linked the possibility of a miracle to some sort of cooperation on their part in obedience. Remember now, obedience is a synonym for faith. He said to the woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages, Daughter, your faith has made you well. He told the synagogue official Jairus, Do not be afraid, only believe. He told the man whose son was suffering from convulsions, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. You know, one of the most haunting verses in the Bible is this one. Jesus could do no mighty work in Nazareth because of their unbelief. How many of you know that if we're unwilling to do what God tells us to do, we lose the advantage that is ours because of our relationship with him. We lose the power of the divine cooperative. I've always been so intrigued by this. You remember the story in the Old Testament when they were to cross over the Jordan and the Levites were out there in front. They had the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders and God had not yet rolled away the water. And he told the Levites, step into the water first and then I'll roll it away. I would have not wanted to have been a Levite on that day. I mean, that was a scary thought. The river was at high tide Here they were with the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders. But God said, if you don't have the faith to do what I tell you to do and step into the river, step into the water, I won't roll it away. As soon as they did, the waters parted and they walked over on dry ground. What is God asking you to do 
so that he can do for you what you need him to do. What is he asking you to do that you are struggling with in your life? And you wonder why God is withholding his blessing from you. God blesses our obedience. He blesses our faith. The principle of personal desperation says, I will cry out to God. The principle of divine cooperation says, I will do what God tells me to do. I'll do my part. I can't do the miracle, but when God tells me what to do, I will do it. That is faith. Faith without works is what, class? It's dead. Don't give me your faith story unless you're willing to show me how you're responding to what God has called you to do. Then third, and last, the principle of potential limitation. This is really a unique and interesting part of this story. God's generosity was limited by the woman's capacity. In other words, the amount of oil she received was limited by the number of jars she collected. The principle is this. If you want more oil, collect more jars. This is the fulfillment of a great New Testament principle in Matthew 9, 29. I hope you won't forget this. This is the one worth writing down. It says this, according to your faith, let it be to you. According to your faith, let it be to you. You say, God, I want you to bless me. How much do you want God to bless you? Let me tell you a couple of stories from within the ministry here that will help you understand it. Every year about this time, we produce a budget. I don't like those things. I don't like to mess with them. I have people that work on it and help me with it. But our budget is what we expect will come in during the year, and the budget's important so that we don't outspend our income. You all know about that. It's kind of the same with you at home. But here's something that's very interesting. Over a period of time in the ministry of Shadow Mountain, we were doing a kind of thing where we would take last year's income and we would add 5% to it and we'd start and say, okay, this is our budget. During that time, we never outgave our budget. We would always give right up to what the budget was. It was an arbitrary number. We didn't get it from God. We put it on paper, but it was the measure of our faith. It was the containers into which God was going to pour the oil. And we finally discovered that maybe we should set our standard a little higher. Maybe if God would give us here what we ask, he would give us, and so we started to do that. And I don't know all the details of where we are now, except I know that what we're doing now is way beyond anything that's ever happened before. We set the standard out here. God not only met the standard, but he overflowed the standard. According to your faith, be it unto you. You see what I'm saying? According to your faith, be it unto you. If you want more from God, trust God for more. But don't complain if God doesn't do for you more than what you trusted him to do. That's a tremendous principle of faith for all of us, especially for those of us who are leaders. Finally, let me tell you that this story that we have studied is a wonderful picture of the most important story in the Bible, and that's the story of redemption. Just as this widow was in financial distress and in danger of losing everything, she experienced a miracle. Her sons were redeemed from a future of slavery. 
Do you know the Bible tells us that there's another kind of slavery? Slavery to sin that creates a debt we can't repay. But thankfully, Jesus came to redeem us from an enslaved life. At just the right moment, God sent Jesus to redeem us. We were desperate. There was no other option. We had no place else to go. We've tried it all. Some of you have been down that path. Everything you've tried have left you just empty as you were before. The only answer is Jesus. He's the only one. And just at the right moment, Jesus came to this earth, went to the cross, and died to set us free from our slavery. And the way we cooperate with this miracle, because of what Jesus has done, here's what it says in the Bible. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's not enough to believe that Jesus died, not enough to believe that he was resurrected. The question is, have you called on his name? Have you cried out in desperation? Have you said, Lord God, I need you in my life. I want Jesus Christ to be my Savior. The Bible says if you do that, God will hear you and he will save you. Whoever calls upon the Lord shall be saved. I want to ask you a question today. Have you ever called upon the Lord? Have you ever asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior? In one of his books, Harry Ironside tells of a young woman that he led to Christ on one occasion. She had received a Christian upbringing, but she had thrown her life to the wind, and she had lived a very worldly life. Now she was dying of tuberculosis. She had sent for Ironside, and she'd been given three weeks to live. When Ironside came to see her the first time, she said to him, Do you think there's any hope for a sinner like me? Ironside led her through the gospel, brought her to John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And he asked this woman, Are you included in that whoever? And she looked at him. Perhaps she thought of what we've often done when we've read that verse. Maybe you should read it this way. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that if David Jeremiah believes in him, he shall not perish. Put your own name in there. Maybe that night she put her name in there and she was ready to commit herself to Christ and she did it. And Ironside assured her that if she was truly in Christ, there was no condemnation for her even though she had lived a sinful life. A month or so later, after Ironside had finished his meetings in that area and had gone elsewhere, he was told that she had died. Her minister had been with her, and he told Ironside of their final conversation. I said to her, can you hear me? She said, yes. Do you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? She said, yes. What does he say about you? And she said, not condemned, not condemned. And then uttering her last words, she said, If you see Mr. Ironside, tell him it's all right. For those who have called upon the name of the Lord to save them, it is all right. All right with God, all right with his son, and all right with you. So once again, I ask you, have you called upon the name of the Lord? Do what this woman did out of the desperation of your heart and simply cry out for help. And God will hear you, and he will send his son to live in your heart and save you from your sin. And your victory will be just as great or greater than the victory of this woman. 
friends, that was quite a story, wasn't it? And how it touches our lives and encourages our heart. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about the ups and downs of life, how we can be at the very highest point one day and down in the dumps the next, and the fact that God is with us wherever we are. We'll see that in the life of Elisha, and we'll apply it to our own lives as well. Friends, we are studying this Old Testament prophet, and there's a study guide you can order uh, that will outline every message. Everything that I'm talking about is organized and outlined here, along with some, well, some practical uh, assignments for you at the end of every chapter, other verses to look up, terms to discover that will help you wrap your arms around this prophet and allow his teaching to encourage your life. Also want to remind you that at the end of December of this year, we are doing a conference cruise to the Caribbean. December 30th through January the 8th, we'll be aboard a beautiful Holland American ship with all of our musicians and um, a whole bunch of people who are going to be kind of on a vacation cruise, a conference cruise where we'll study the Word of God every day and yet have plenty of time to relax and enjoy the warmth and beauty of the Caribbean. Find out more about it at davidjeremiah.org. We'll see you next time. Today's message originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Dr. David Jeremiah, the senior pastor. We'd love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. Write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of our 14-month calendar for 2022, Moving Toward Hope. Fill with scriptures and images to encourage your walk. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your favorite smart devices or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries to instantly access our content. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Elisha, the Double Blessed Prophet, here on Turning Point. If you've been blessed by the ministry of Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point, we would love to offer you two free ways to stay connected. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash magazine for a subscription to our monthly Turning Points magazine. Each exclusive issue is filled with encouraging articles and daily devotionals to strengthen your spiritual walk. You can also sign up to receive our daily email devotional and be a part of our community of friends who receive daily encouragement delivered straight to their inbox from Dr. Jeremiah. Written in a thought-provoking manner, this concise yet profound daily devotional delivers the refreshment and focus you need as you go about in today's world. You can join the more than 600,000 monthly subscribers who are building their faith each month through these free resources. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. The Spanish have a proverb that says, The devil's boots don't creak, meaning the devil can walk right up behind you without your even knowing it. That sounds just like the description the Apostle Peter gave of the devil, picturing him as a lion. Lions make no noise at all as they sneak up on their prey on the African plains. 
So how do you keep from being ambushed if you can't hear the devil coming? By being sober and alert, as Peter says. By being like an antelope that is continually watching for signs of danger. Alert equals alive when it comes to spiritual warfare. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's spiritual defenses on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.